And I know you're going to be the absolute best listeners and respectful of our guest speaker, right? Greatest. Greatest, you're going to. Matt's going to walk away from the school and say that Cascadia College has some awesome students. We always think we're clever at the end. <laughs> we're a group. We're a bunch. All right. But you got to have fun, too. Yeah. But respectful. All right. Thank you. And I give you Matt ready. All right. Let's give a little, uh, well, however you welcome somebody. story today, um, but I want to get some idea of uh, who's in the room here. So I got two questions for you guys. Um, we'll start with a simple one. Who here considers himself an activist? Go ahead and raise your hand if you consider yourself an activist. And in our language, it's called. Remember, we saw that videotape. It's not just like a non-racist. It's anti-racism. Actually, does something. Are you referring to, you said racism? Well, we saw a little clip about what's the difference between being a non and being anti. And um, anti. You know, um, he's sort of a badass in terms of like politicians. I mean, he was also the guy that, he kind of really kick-started the, uh, the same-sex marriage sort of revolution that sort of swept the country. That was um, many years ago. He was, he just one day said, you know what, we're just going to start uh, accepting gay marriage certificates in San Francisco. And just like, it was a, it was absolutely cutting edge and it blew up across the country and it, uh, a lot of same-sex um, marriage activists um, actually thought it was a bad idea, didn't think our country was ready for it. But you know, it's like pushing the envelope in different areas sort of helps stir up the energy in other people. So anyways, back to what the heck I was gonna do in, for my friend in my county. How could I make this happen? And again, I was sitting there like, what could I do? Any ideas? I was working at the hospital. I'd study this. Anyone have any guess what I did? Or any even things I considered? Yeah, got one? Uh, you try to talk to the director of the hospital. Good, talking to people in the hospital. Any other ideas of what I could try? Yeah. Fundraiser. Fundraiser, try to just make money to help pay for uh, create a fund or something? Yeah. Yep. Good. Any other ideas? Petition. Petition? Yeah? Who would I be petitioning? Senator Mayor, office, governor's office, county, courts. Yeah, see, and that's a big decision. You know, if I'm going for the county, there's county commissioners. So, what I did, one, I started to believe that the, um, the hospital district, I believe they had enough resources to do this. And so I was focusing there. So then I had to think about who's in power in the hospital, who controls the hospital district. And in all my years working at the hospital, I was, um, I believed it was the CEO. The CEO was really the one that was uh, making all the decisions for how the hospital worked. That's always the way I thought about it. I knew there was a board of commissioners that had some role in the hospital, but we never really saw them, never really talked to them. So, but as I thought about it, I realized there is an interesting question there. Who do you talk to, the CEO or the board? 
So what I did from my job, and it was pretty high up in the organization in the, what's called the Performance Improvement Office. I mean, I worked with all the directors, I met with the CEO and strategic leadership group, which is like the officers, all the time. Um, I, decided, I just started sharing my ideas. What if we did something like Healthy San Francisco? We could do it this way. I just started suggesting it and talking about it. Um, and I started to feel resistance. I started to feel people, uh, I felt some people excited about the idea, but I could feel the institutional resistance to my ideas. So, um, I pushed on that a little bit, but I was like, this is not fast enough. This, I might make a little progress, but this is nowhere near fast enough. So I was like, um, basically after thinking about it, I decided the commission was the way to go because they were the ultimate authority in the district. And even if I convinced the CEO to go full on with uh, what I was thinking, if the commission wasn't on board, then he would have a problem. And so I was like, the commission is the way to go. The, the authorities of the hospital district, just like Gavin Newsom down in um, San Francisco, the ones in charge need to be saying, this is what we need to, we want to achieve. And so I was like, how do I get the commission to own this, to do this, and to champion this? And these were the, I could have made this, you know, could have asked you guys what you, what you think the possibilities are, but this is what I came up with. I could find someone to run, to be a candidate, um, and try to, you know, help them win and help them uh, uh, change the priorities of the commission. Or I could do something really crazy, which would uh, be the candidate myself and run for uh, the commission. Only problem is if I won, I couldn't work at the hospital. And a hospital commissioner makes only about $10,000 a year. And I was making about $50,000 a year, and I was working only 30 hours a week. Um, so I was, Th Thoreau would have been thrilled. He would have been like, you're doing pretty well. You're making good money, um, working less than uh, the 40 hours a week at Twin Oaks, you know, would have made me do. So this is a very difficult uh, point in my life, a very big decision point. This is again where meditation comes in. So I decided to run for office, and that guy is my campaign manager, that guy I'm holding there. Um, he was also an activist with me, but he also was a, uh, was a, he ran for office himself before, before Occupy. So I transformed myself into Politician Matt, and that's my campaign photo. And I decided to run. Just deciding whether or not to show you any of these uh, videos. Um, all right, let's see. Let's see if it works. At least I need to know that. Let's see what happens if I click that video link. Let me test this. Everything explodes. Everything will like all explode. Yep. All right. Do we have some audio? <coughs>
longer, mainly more folk. All right, that's enough of that. Um, so I'd already announced that I was a candidate, but this was the first time I went into the boardroom and uh, spoke publicly and said, this is what I think we should do, what I think the hospital should do. Um, and I guarantee you, this was terrifying to going in there and doing this. I mean, I worked at the hospital, um, and so um, it was a high pressure situation. And I also, uh, I bit the bullet and I brought in a video camera and videotaped it because I knew I was going to use it on my campaign website. So then um, I was also interviewed by uh, the, the local paper that right after I announced it. Sure. So it was a surprise that you uh, decided to uh, run for hospital for that. Was it a, something, a decision you've been making for a long time? Or tell us about yourself. Uh, I think about a year ago I decided. I first had the realization that this was a real possibility. And then, um, I think it was about three months ago, um, it, was, it was definite that I was going to run. There were a number of different things I could have tried um, to try to make some changes. Um, so I was exploring different options, talking to a lot of people. So I'm about to say what I already said to you guys, uh, why I decided to run, because I thought that was the only way to make change. So once you run for office, uh, your life transforms. It's a, it's a real, um, it's not, I, I don't consider it an enjoyable experience, you know, to have all that attention, to have articles written about you, to have, um, you know, letters to the editor written about you, um, you know, if there's negative stuff, it's not really fun. But I believed in what I was doing, and I had um, just really important. I had support. I had support of people around me. Um, you don't uh, you don't run for office alone. Um, and in fact, I don't think you really do anything significant activist-wise alone. You want to have a network of support. So if you have like an idea of something that you want to do, um, first step is find four or five other people that also want to do something about that and. Um, because you need that kind of support, one, to help you think um, through what you're doing, and also uh, just that support when things go rough. Um, so another thing I had to do was uh, choose who I was gonna run against. There were two people up for election, um, and so I had control of when I said which opponent I was choosing. I had declared I was running, but I didn't say who I was running against. Everyone wanted to know, my opponents wanted to know, um, but that was one of the few things I had control over. I didn't have to tell them until I registered. So I didn't tell anybody. I let both these people sitting on the board sweat um, until the last minute, and I decided to run against the president of the board who was a retired MD and a very right-wing, um, uh, politically, a very right-wing politician. So then we have the whole campaign, debates, speeches, door knocking, fundraising, pain, awkwardness. We had some of my old writings um, come to light during the campaign. I had, a, I had a blog where I had a lot of pretty freewheeling activist things written on this blog, one of which was that corporations are evil effing monsters. Um, so that came out a few weeks before election day. But I, you know, you just bite the bullet and you speak honestly the reason. I did, you know, when the 
journalist asked me about that. I said I shouldn't have called them evil monsters. She was nice enough to leave out that I called them evil effing monsters. She just said I called them evil monsters. Um, and I said I should have called them sociopathic monsters. Because they're not necessarily evil, they're just corporations, they're just sociopaths. They just care about money, they care nothing about emotions or humanity. They are abstract entities we create for a purpose. They do not have a heart or a soul. Or... So they're sociopaths and we should treat them like sociopathic robots and not like human beings. Um, so that we can control them. Anyways, that got in. My response got into the article and I didn't know if that had blown the whole election for me, but uh, did not. I won. I won, yeah. And this is uh, another thing I did during the um, campaign. I met with Sherry Appleton. She's a Washington State representative because she is the sponsor of a single-payer health care bill for Washington State. And so I called her up, said, I'm running. I'm going to be totally talking about your bill. She met with me and she endorsed me. And so I was probably the first, I bet I was the first public hospital district candidate to get endorsed by a state representative so blatantly. That was pretty cool. So I won. I won by 200 votes. Um, I immediately resigned from my job and I start learning everything I can about how the heck to do this public hospital commissioner thing and try to actually now make change. Because now I am 20% of the powers over the board. There's five hospital commissioners and I'm only one vote and they all um, campaigned against me. They, they hate me. I mean, or they did. They really, I mean, you could feel the hostility um, when I joined that uh, commission. I really want to say it that way. I'm videotaping this. Maybe I'll cut that little piece out. They, 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 you know, they welcomed me onto the commission, and it was a great experience. Um, and it was really fascinating learning about how the heck power really works. Um, so now, now we're going into me as activist politician. And I had two goals: single-payer health care, push from the commission level and try to um, solve the access to healthcare problem. And I had to figure out how to do that, especially with not having the majority power on the board. It's been a long story. I'm gonna tell you about a few of the, few of the interesting moments where I really had to make some big decisions of what tactics to take. The first one was that you would sit in the boardroom and this goes back to the egalitarian facilitation thing, where it's really important to decide who gets to speak and how long they get to speak. I mean, that's how, that's how, uh, that's power, you know? Verbal space, and I'm taking up all this verbal space in this room right now, talking so much. Um, but the verbal space in the room is a resource that we are, in any time you enter a room, you are agreeing how you're going to share that resource. Um, that's why it's really, one, it's important to me to say, raise your hand if you want to talk, because I'm not going to sit here and just like talk down your throats. Um, but in a boardroom, or in a uh, legislature, uh, it's really, it, it's really important who controls who speaks. And so we get in there, and I want to talk about some stuff. So I, I raised my hand. They, they weren't even raising their hand. They were just sort of like talking. And so I was like, I'm being polite. I'm going to raise my hand and I would speak. But they, the chair would cut me off. 
and just be like, we don't have time, Matt, and just, just try to move on. And it was very aggressive, and uh, people came up to me after the meeting, and they were like, that was really, and they found it uncomfortably rude, the way they were trying to just keep me from even talking. And so I had to think, okay, how am I gonna deal with this? Um, what tactic do I use? Any ideas? What do you do if you're in a, what? Aggressively assert myself. Aggressively assert, yeah, I could do that. I could just like raise my voice, yeah. Maybe outside resources. Outside resources? Yeah? I'm not sure who, uh, I mean, police or something? I don't know, security guard? Blackout. <laughs> what? <laughs> not even responding to that. Whoa. You would think so, but if they don't even let you speak your evidence, then you're kind of in a bind there. So it was, it's really a tricky situation. So, I, so the first thing I did was I asked, what are the rules of this room? Do you have any rules? Or is this literally just a slugfest of who speaks the loudest and longest? Um, and the truth is they didn't really have, they said they followed Robert's rules. Who's heard of Robert's Rules? No? Robert's Rules is basically the way every political body in this country works. Um, it's the whole, um, you know, you there is someone that's the chair of the room, and someone, uh, the chair recognizes people, and then you can make motions, and a motion has to be seconded. Oh. Yeah, that's Robert, that's all Robert's Rules. Created by this guy named Robert, Robert right? Um, so they said they were following Robert's rules in theory, but they weren't actually following them. But because they said they were, I could just refer to that. Is that I guess I did what you said. That's the outside, who said outside authority? Outside, yeah. So that's what I did. I was like, the outside authority was the rules that they said they were using. And I tried to use that. Um, but they still were, the chair still has a lot of power in Robert's rules, so they can cut you off. Um, and the other thing they can do is just ignore your suggestion. Like I can make a motion and they can just, no one seconds it, we don't even have to talk about it. And so I'm really dead in the water there. So I was like, I don't want to sit on this board for six years and just be walked over and not have any of my motions even considered or discussed. Um, so the tactic I came up with was, I'm gonna record every meeting and share the audio on my website and I'm going to, uh, write up transcripts of any interesting exchanges because I want the public to know what I'm doing. I mean, if they wanted to sit there and ignore everything I said and use what I considered really weak arguments against me when they did respond, I'm gonna at least let everyone that voted for me and everyone in my county know exactly what's happening. And I was like, I could do that for six years. That would be, that would be fine. Because um, that's really, I mean, that's all I had power over. I just wanted people to know what I was trying to do and see if maybe, um, you know, maybe uh, that would stir things up. It would, it would create openings. And these are public meetings. Um, so you, anyone can record a public meeting in Washington State. You can walk in with a video camera. Uh, oh, I forgot to ask that. So I'm recording this. Um, so anyone that asks a question uh, and you don't want your voice um, on there, if you could just tell me that and I'll like edit your voice out of the video if I do anything to this. 
anyone want to tell me, you tell me now or you can tell me after. Anyone have any concerns with me recording? Okay. So, in a public meeting, anyone can record the meeting. Um, so, that was, that was what I decided to do. So I emailed all the commissioners and I said, heads up, I'm gonna start recording these meetings and sharing the audio. Um, that, that turned into massive, massive uh, conflict. Um, I mean, what, probably the biggest, uh, most intense conflict that I've ever been um, a part of for an extended period of time. Um, but yeah, we'll just, as you can see from the end here. In the end, uh, they really, no one had any objection that actually um, held enough weight to stop the recording. They came up with a lot of different arguments to say it was different for a hospital commissioner to record. They tried to say because I was a commissioner, if I was recording, it was now an act of the hospital. And the board has to decide if they're recording. So I can't record it because I am a commissioner. And I said, um, I disagree. And they said, well, we have a lawyer that says we're right. And I said, I don't care. Um, and I kept recording. <coughs> That's basically the, the story. But it was much more long and painful than that. Um, in fact, I guess we're talking about it. Let's see, we've got. So. Okay, so this is actually the, um, this is actually recently, uh, this, is the, this is a video recording of the first meeting, or an audio recording of the first meeting where I recorded, and there's sort of a long discussion here, but we had a, uh, this is one recently where I pulled out my recorder, and um, I'm going to let you just hear a little bit of what happened. I'm recording. Wait, is this an official meeting? Is it formal meeting? Our policy states that we record when we're in our normal situation board meeting. We're in the hospital. Nothing that prohibits that from recording. Yes, there is. It makes an official record. Should be an official record if it's an official meeting. Well, there's a, there is a legal opinion that uh, recommends to not do this. Yeah.
stress level was off the charts. Sorry, my stress level is very high right now, so it's hard for me to speak. I did not expect a massive conflict over this again. Right. I didn't think you guys would be surprised. I recorded last year's meeting, if you recall. So I, I told you before. I cannot actually remember everything that is said at these meetings, and it's important to me that uh, we take what we say here seriously, and that we're held accountable for what we say here. And the only way to do that is to have an accurate record of these meetings. And so I record the meetings. And then they went on their 10 minutes of coming up with trying to reasons to try to stop me. And eventually they stopped the meeting. We just didn't have a meeting at all. Yeah. So. I found it very interesting that that I don't know who the person is, but the lady said it was uh, counterproductive. But the fact was that discussing this whole matter of you recording when you've already done it before was actually more counterproductive than than what could have gone on about. Because I'm assuming you guys don't talk about just recordings at hospital commissions. Like you're supposed to talk about other things. Yeah, we have other topics to talk about. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I just have more questions. So like, are these meetings? Annually or are they twice a month? Twice a month. Okay. Twice a month. Wow. Someone walked out. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think it's very interesting. They're so worked up over this because I mean, do you really have so much to worry about that you can't be open with who you're making decisions for in the first place? Like, why can't if you don't feel bad about it, and you feel like you're doing the right thing? Why are you so upset that the people you're affecting know what you're doing? I I find that really weird. Clearly, yeah. they're, more they're more worried about what they're going to say than actually doing something. And if you don't feel guilty, what's the problem? I'm with you. <laughs> and I know, because I used to be a reporter for a nonprofit organization, that you're supposed to have some kind of reporter for every board meeting when you speak. Well, it's not legally required um, of public hospital districts. But uh, so they weren't breaking the law. That would have been easy. It's optional. Yes. <laughs> I'm wondering, like, uh, why they like, like, are you so much and you guys know it's like money, or is it just like the needs? Bet you they just don't want to be accountable for what they say. Yep. It's a good question. Why? And there's four of them, so there's, or there, yeah. Yeah. just um, I mean one being an activist just means you're trying to change something you're just actively trying to change something in the world um, and so I'm basically I'm just sort of sharing at, at my journey through at times I've wanted to change different things and it's it's basically a journey of choosing tactics it's always choosing actions I mean whether or not it's 
activism in a political sense or in your life, you're always choosing tactics. And so, um, yeah, I just sort of wanted people to get a taste of these moments when I had to make a decision of what to do. And, um, and so there's, you know, there's different ways you can make those decisions. One, like in the boardroom there, you have to make the decision on the spot. Pressure is there, you have to know, you have to decide right there, high pressure. Um, and I use meditation a lot to sort of like pause things there to try to stretch out the amount of time I get to think what to do. And then there's decisions that are, um, that you have more time, um, where you can sort of brainstorm different actions. Um, yeah, and then as we get to the end, we'll go to my, my actual like solutions that I'll Okay, so more, more little activist tactical decision making that I had to do. I'll just take you through this. Uh, I want Washington State to really get behind single payer healthcare. So how do I do that from the commission level? Um, it has a state level bill uh, that's under consideration. Um, I thought, well, to start with, I could get the board to discuss it. So my first tactic was just ask them to discuss it. Hey, there's a big single payer bill. Are we willing to talk about it? They agreed. It's really, especially, and it helped that the meetings were being recorded. If I weren't wasn't recording the meetings, it would be very easy for them to say, you know, to dismiss it. But it's when you're being recorded, it puts pressure on you to um, to say something that you can defend later and that you look a little bit better to the public. And so it. It brought uh, the, the some of the better selves out of my fellow commissioners. So they agreed to discuss it. Um, I said, if we decide we're for or against it, we should say so, and they agreed to that. Um, and then they agreed to schedule a meeting to discuss single payer, a future meeting. And so then I decided to try to raise the energy of that meeting, um, that I put the word out to uh, activists that this was happening. Um, I also was the one that organized the presentations. Um, and we had a, a big meeting, a bunch of, a lot of people from the public, and we ended up being the first public hospital district to pass a resolution in favor of single-payer healthcare. That was pretty cool. Uh, also, as a part of this, um, these are two experts that I, I networked with to bring in, and this is Steve Theringer. Anyone know who Steve Theringer is? State representative, um, like Sherry Appleton earlier. Um, so that's me sitting on a panel at the local Unitarian Fellowship talking about single payer. This is a week before that big board meeting. So that's one thing, a little bit of progress. Then I have my next tactic, again, just trying to get universal health care in our state, was trying to get all public hospital districts to do what my this public hospital district did. And so how to do that? I decided, you know, I'm going to try to network with other commissioners. You know, again, so when I go to these conferences and all these public hospital commissioners are there, 
I was a very small, uh, lonely voice in trying to talk about single-payer healthcare. And so I had to, like I said, you have to build your strength in numbers. And so I networked, found some allies, um, and I've been doing that for about two and a half years. And we're up to about 20 public hospital commissioners that really want to get this talked about, and we're putting, um, putting pressure on the Washington State Hospital Association a huge powerful organization and the Association of Washington Public Hospital Districts to try to get them to start discussing it. Uh, but they're currently saying no, basically. They're refusing to discuss single-payer health care. Um, and so now we're again, we're sort of blocked. So again, we have to decide what to do. So any ideas? Here, so imagine you have a big organization and it's a club, and you're a member of this club, and you want them to, you want them to actually support an issue, but to get them to support it, you want them to first talk about it, and they're refusing to talk about it. What do you do? Keep them out. Okay. Well, you can possibly be planting them to those groups and then have them discuss it that way by someone they know that they have like inside their group instead of someone outside of their group. Sure, so plant seeds in the people to yeah. try to get, okay, good. Maybe uh, since you have other boards to work with, maybe form like a kind of a leader of each board and then those, it's like a meeting within a meeting, it's basically essentially get a consensus of like, hey, would you guys be willing to bring this up in your in your commission? Good, and that's actually something um, we're starting to do now. So we're starting, uh, we've got two other public hospital district boards have passed, um, they're not quite resolutions in favor of single payer, but they're in favor of asking this organization to discuss it at our big conferences. Is there another suggestion? Um, well, I just thought it was interesting how you use like transparency basically to fight like um, their their want to like shun that topic. So maybe something along those lines. Excellent. Yeah, and and right now, in telling you guys and recording this, I'm going very transparent about uh, Wisha. AWPHD resisting talking about single payer healthcare. Yeah, transparency is amazing. Sunlight is a disinfectant. You know, anywhere that BS is happening, just shine uh, transparency, shine sunlight on it. It makes everyone behave a little better and it creates a, uh, what I call, it, it creates you a thread of truth. A video record or an audio record of what happens, it gives you a thread of truth that gives you strength as long as you are being honest about what happened and what you're talking about, what you said and what you believe. And it gives you something to fall back on if other people are inconsistent um, or they are changing, um, they're changing their mind or they're just using really, really bad arguments. Um, transparency is a really powerful thing. With these tactics and subtactics, did you find that the board was, uh, over time, more uh, consistent or more inconsistent? Uh, the, the recording helped them be more consistent and elevated the level of the conversation in the room, I'd say. Um, so, uh, at the conferences, part of networking was just getting up out of my seat and walking around at every table and just walking up to a table and saying, is anyone here a public hospital commissioner? I would ignore everyone else at the table and whoever said they were, I would just look at them and say, do you support single-payer healthcare? And they would tell me yes or no. If they said yes, I'd be like, do you want to talk about it sometime? 
and they say yes or no. If they said yes, wrote it down, moved on, and set up a meeting. Um, really uncomfortable for me. I'm an introvert. I don't like going up to people and talking to them. Um, but you know, you do what you do the tactic that has the most possibility for success, not the tactic that feels good. Uh, it's often the awkward, uncomfortable tactics that have the most result. And that's pretty much true about everything in life. Just a life tip. Um, I also tried to go to a board meeting of the AWPHD. Just, I just went to it and just walked in the room. They were starting to get set up and the, the director of the AWPHD came up to me and said, hi Matt, why are you here? And I was like, I want to you know, observe the board meeting, see what you guys talk about, see who's on the board. And he said, uh, well you can't and you have to leave. So, elected public hospital commissioner was not allowed to observe the board of the Association of Washington Public Hospital Districts. Um, and I was like, well, who's on the board? And he's like, it's all CEOs, and um, basically. And I was like, well, can a public hospital commissioner sit on the board? He's like, oh no, it's in the bylaws. It has to, it's only, elected hospital commissioners cannot be on the board of the association that is basically the trade organization of all public hospital districts. I was like, well, that's interesting. So, um, and that also sort of opened my eyes to these associations are controlled by, uh, they're controlled by CEOs, basically, administrators. And that means they're never gonna be controlled. Even if I got all the public hospital commissioners to say they wanted to do something, they wouldn't have control of that organization. So that led to another tactic, which possibility of creating a different organization, of a network of public hospital commissioners, um, potentially just uh, going that route, just going around your obstacles. Haven't done that yet, but it's one of the things that we talk about in our group of 20. Let's see what else we got here. Okay, so that was a, that was a dive into my political sort of journey, but I want to come back to the big picture of activism, the world. Um, I kind of consider my work in politics sort of like a hobby. Um, what I really care about is trying to help alleviate oppression in the world. You know, I believe we have, we have a beautiful planet here, I believe there's enough resources for us to share the resources so every human on earth should be able to uh, live a reasonably thriving life. But the problem with our world is the power pyramids that are everywhere. Every country basically has a power pyramid because every country is a type of hierarchy. Um, whether it has a king or a president or a legislature or an oligarchy at the top um, or warlords, dictators. Everyone fits into this power pyramid in some way and it's very difficult uh, very difficult to imagine how to disrupt that. I mean, human, human history is the story of power pyramids being created and eventually power being abused and people being oppressed and people at the bottom of the pyramid finally getting fed up and tearing the whole thing down, having a big revolution, and then what happens? What happens after a revolution? Anyone know? They kill the dictator. I, I couldn't tell what anyone said. Reconstruction of the government. 
a, a new government, some sort of new government, is built. That's the way it's always been. We create some sort of new power pyramid. And the same, the cycle just repeats. 